To get rid of those pesky ads, request stories, listen to unlisted and bonus episodes, and to chat with the gang, support us by clicking the description link. Anyway, my name is John. Welcome to Talk Mermaid Podcast. We put out episodes every week. Last week, I only put out one because of the the week we had, but usually two or three during the week. And you can subscribe to that on any podcasting app. Also, if you like true crime, but told in a story format, go to any podcasting app and look up Among the Dirt and Trees. That's our sister podcast. Brianne's doing a fantastic job with that. I think she's like 150 episodes maybe already. Crazy. So check already. that out. Also, there's a bunch of links in the description below, including the trivia links. We we got some uh, cool new stuff in for trivia. And also, if anyone joins as a Talkos Primo, you automatically get that those uh, old-timey crime photos. That and are- Supremo only tier. Let me just be clear if you're wondering, hey, where's my picture, right? Where's my picture? Supremo Where is only. It? Also, we are doing some Halloween stuff this this uh, this year. I do have a live stream idea, but I need Jen to actually agree to it before I say what it is. So That's like something that I've learned from knowing you over the past five years that I don't know that I can comfort- comfortably do. Well, I just need you to do it. You got to trust me. It's nothing like with penises. Does Nequiz know what it is? No. It's it's going to be a live stream, Halloween themed, nothing scandalous or whatever. I don't believe that. But I need you to say, yes, I'm in. I need you to say, yeah, I roll with you guys. What day? I don't want one day in October. All right. I'll roll with you guys. Sweet. All right. So here's my plan. For a live stream for this October, whatever day, I am going to do Ed Gein podcast or Ed Gein uh, episode research. And I was thinking maybe if you guys would be cool with it and, you know, we can light some candles and turn the lights out. Oh, no. I'm opting oh, out. No. <laughs> no. We can possibly no. contact Ed I will Gein. say, no. Shram <laughs> called Dib. She's at nine points and she wants that board. No, so. I, no I can't. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> No. You already said yes. But that's not fair. <laughs> like, you know how I feel about those. I know. This is one of the original published Ouija boards from 1970. It's in the 70s, 72. yeah. 72. Ages eight to adult, Jen. Eight years old. <laughs> I'm I know not, there's no. somebody you want to contact. No, I no, I, I want nothing to do with that. Who we contact? I don't want anything to do with that. Who we contact? I'm not, I'm not doing it. No, it is not even real. You I'm know, this not is... doing it. <laughs> no, Jen, just hold this planchette. No, just hold it. No, I'm not touching it. I don't want <laughs> that anything near me. No, get that shit away from me. <laughs> Jen, what the fuck? I don't fuck with that. You know I don't fuck with that. I'm serious. <laughs> do you know what the the thing that John asked me to just say like just just say yes to the the movie that I really want us to watch this year. In, in for Halloween I was like what it like you want is that what you want to watch this year and uh, it was what was it killer clowns from outer space there you go <laughs> so I, I I unknowingly agreed to, to that which I'm just gonna have to be Jim why would you agree to something without knowing what it is because <laughs> for some reason I trust you and I'm still trying to figure out why now D says to salt the board for what what does that do Fuck, I, don't I didn't know. know that that was the thing I've never heard that before uh so we have a surprise shot for Elizabeth today. I don't think I saw something specific um, requested for Elizabeth, but you know what, Elizabeth, if you send us one later, I'm sure we'll take it at some point. Um, so this one's for Elizabeth. Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Cheers. <clears throat> Tastes like fall. It is fall. Fake fall. It's fake fall here. Ugh, that was a fireball. 
right, guys, let's get started on this one, man. We're actually going to New York today. Has anybody been to Oyster Bay? No. No. All right, so here's where we're going to tonight. We're on Google Earth. And and for the next episode, I just want to say, if you guys uh, aren't supporting us, no worries. That'll be out next week. So I know times are tough, even for us. So this is Oyster Bay right here. If you don't know about Oyster Bay, it is a, not it's not a private community, but it is a wealthy community. So tonight we are going to August 27th, 1906. This is a great story. And I read a great book for it which we're going to be talking about, but Oyster Bay, Long Island, August 27th, 1906. This is a goodie, but a goodie. This is a extremely wealthy neighborhood. And in 1906, it was, it was the spot as you're going to see the, the president would spend his holidays in Oyster Bay. This community we're going to was private and had huge estates. Now this is, this is like Gatsby. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, so the president that was Long Island, the president being was the president being Roosevelt at the time would spend months there in in these Teddy, not glorious estates. Correct. It's time for a new deal. Wrong. Wrong. Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) Or the teddy bear one. Yeah. (laughs) August 27, 1906. There was a family, a Charles Henry Warren and his entire family. Charles Henry Warren is an extremely wealthy and popular man. He's extremely successful as well. He's the president of the Lincoln Bank and he's the private banker to the Vanderbilt family. Okay. So very influential and very successful. Have you guys been to the Vanderbilt estate in Nashville? I have not. I haven't I, either. I heard it's really pretty. I at really Christmas wanted time. to do the built more too but we've oh, never maybe gone. that's what i was thinking no, that's of. what you're thinking of the Biltmore's Biltmore. in nashville sorry asheville know. nashville uh yeah similar tomato tomato one Vanderbilt, is tennessee yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know geography super wealthy people august 27 1906 a rented summer home and this is the first time i have ever heard this of a rented summer home no not i mean all right when we get rich we'll rent a summer home why can't we own it? All right. Yeah. But here's the thing. This family, the Warren family, not only rents the summer home, but also brings their gardener with them and all their- Because the gardener <laughs> does extracurricular <laughs> activities or is he just a gardener? No, just a garden, a summer rented home. Well, I mean like- Like to, to trim bushes in a, a home that they're renting. I mean, how rich do you got to be? You got to be pretty wealthy to have- help travel with you that's to be like, fair that's like, like my favorite murder if, money right there if you want to enjoy your summer you don't want to be cutting the grass right no yeah, but what the fuck I don't, we, we don't even cut our own grass now when you we're just not let wealthy. it grow out i cut my grass but i need to get someone soon because my grass is going to get overgrown especially in the back and i can't go out there and cut you the grass got, right now it is the best 150 dollars a month well i was doing if there's yeah. no grass on the field turn around and play in the mud all right, so the owner of this estate. <laughs> I don't like that reference, I but I know what you're. I know either, what you're talking and about. And I've not heard that before. <laughs> but That's like nasty. But some people don't like grass. Some people like a. Well, I like landing strip grass. <laughs> so so can we, I can. Yeah, no, let's just stop. So I can land my no. very small airplane. <laughs> <laughs> inside i'm sure Whoa, yeah. there's so much room in this hangar <laughs> holy shit <laughs> i'm sure that that there God. is there is how of the, this is all out of one shot i'm just saying guys i know grab is, that bottle yo nope what the fuck i'm trying to heal <laughs> 
Jesus. My hand swelling's gone down. Has it was it was it swollen a lot? Yeah, I thought he broke it at first, but maybe we we might have gotten away with a sprain, a bad sprain. Do you want me to check it out? Yeah, that's a good idea. Jen Jen went to school for um athletic what was it what's athletic the, training. Thank you, athletic training. Yeah, so Jen's like right here and then when I do this, Jen, it, it hurts the most. Then yeah, you maybe don't do that. Do that. <laughs> I'm just trying to help, you know. You know, I am far too nice to you for some of the ways that you treat me. Sometimes what I are you lash talking out. About? You are not nice to me. Sometimes he treat he treats you like a sister. Yeah, that's true. So instead of a daughter, which you are, because you came out of Nicole's vagina. That is not oh, true. <laughs> that is we not are true. the same age. So anyway, Oyster Bay, August 27, 1906. Charles Henry Warren and his family. He's the president of the Lincoln Bank. He works for the Vanderbilts. He brings his family to this summer home. Let me tell you how wealthy this neighborhood is, because this is going to be a big part. Not only does the president spend his summers here, Mm -hmm. the actual homeowner, a Mr. George Thompson, has four other houses and says that he can't, he, he wants to stay in Oyster Bay because, but he can't because it's too expensive. He can't even stay in his own house that he owns because it's too expensive for him to stay there. That's how that's so, how like, why does he is. have it? I don't know. He said he couldn't afford to live there. So he rents it out. Keeping up with the Joneses. Where is he living? I don't know. He's probably dead now. Shit. Now, Charles Warren is there with his family. And all of all of a sudden, his daughter, his youngest daughter, becomes violently ill. And does anyone want to take a guess of what her illness is? Food poisoning? No, it starts with a C and ends with a 19. <laughs> Oh six, nineteen oh six, COVID nineteen oh six. Okay, influenza. No, that was nineteen eighteen, right? Spanish I, flu. I don't know. It wasn't alive. Okay, I'm gonna go with influenza. No, is there is this, Spanish flu? There is this your story or not? God dang it! You don't even answer me. He's yet. like this. He said this sounds vaguely familiar. Oh my god! Then why'd you request it? <laughs> so typhoid is the correct answer. His youngest daughter becomes ill with typhoid fever. And in the same week, five more people showed symptoms. The mother, second daughter, two maids, and the gardener. Oh, no. Now. How would the gardener catch it? I'm not. I don't know. How was it passed? Laying in the mud. (laughs) Oh, my God. How is typhoid transferred? From the mud. No. Oh, my God. Answer the question for realsies. Typhoid is transferred by unwashed hands is the most common. So a lot of cooks, Mm. right? A lot of food. Oh, yes. Typhoid is treatable nowadays, but, and I'm not going to get into the disease itself, but 10% of people that contract it die. And it is a pretty miserable illness. So you get like fever, abdominal cramps. You go into this typhoid state where you're just like hallucinating. Can you pause this for a second so I can ask a question? Can I pause, pause li- live? <laughs> I thought you had the ability. To- I don't want to ruin it for yes, everyone else. Yes, yes, Hold on. All right, it's paused. Is it typhoid Mary? I don't know the whole story, but is this about typhoid Mary? Okay, so I didn't pause it. <laughs> and you need to stop watching true crime. I don't. I don't watch true crime. <laughs> Wait, All right. You didn't pause it? No, I didn't. I can't, pa- you can't pause You've it. You've done the it fuck? before. No, I just tell you I pause it and then let you say whatever the fuck you, you want to say so we can laugh at it. <laughs> Shit. So even the president stays here. Now, this is a this is a big thing because even the president stays at Oyster Bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now you got typhoid fever, which we're going to talk about, not the disease, but 
about who who do you think contracts typhoid fever? You think not wealthy people. There you go. The typhoid fever is a dirty disease. Mm-hmm. It's an unsanitary disease. It's for the, the the poor people. You know, the poor people living in with, you know, all kinds of other people and not bathing, mm. playing in the mud all the time. Those are the people who have typhoid, not in Oyster Bay. And it's very interesting. If you go back to 1906 in these newspaper archives, you will see a lot of news about Oyster Bay, but you will not see the fact that they got typhoid fever. There is a typhoid fever outbreak. They covered it up because if that got out, that would ruin that small community. Okay. So this is a huge problem to have. So they wanted to, instead of alert the media and they had the money to do this, they wanted to solve it in house. Okay. Because they, I they mean, didn't want to to get out that they were invested not in oyster bay no this is definitely not something they want to bring to this community Mm -hmm. at all no so they did this in-house the wealthy banker and his family they're now sick they decide to call in the experts privately they first call a sewage expert to see is it spreading through the sewage is there a problem with the sewage that we need to figure out they next called a dairy expert. Is there something wrong with the milk? You know, whatever. Bad cow disease. Nothing. Then they even interrogated an older lady that lives down by the beach and sells clams because they thought, I don't know if this is true or not, but you can get typhoid from local seafood. Mm. She was scrutinized, <laughs> but they checked all of her clams and everything, and there was no bacteria relating to typhoid in, in any of her seafood. But their daughter's in there dying, and they got to figure out what's going on. So they called in another expert, George Soper. And we're going to talk a lot about this guy. This is him right here. Can you kind of describe this guy? He looks like a villain. <laughs> like there should be a cat in his lap. Yeah. He has a thick mustache. Mm. Yep. I like his coat. And his hairline is receding a little bit. But that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. He's got a big old mustache. I said that. Oh, So he's the expert. He's a sanitary engineer. Quote, the doctor to six cities. He is extremely well known for his books that you guys have probably heard of in school. Number one, the the air and ventilation of subways, modern methods of street cleaning. Riveting material. Yes. <laughs> and, and my personal favorite, further studies of European methods of street cleaning and waste disposals with suggestions. Oh. So he is the the doctor to to see where this sickness is coming from. This is from the book we were reading that we're going to talk about here in a second. George Soper looks from his photographs not to be a nice guy. He looks like someone who was bullied in high school, a nerd, a geek, an apple polishing dirt wonk with an unseemly interest in filth and how to make it go away. A, a dirt gonk? Dirt wonk. Dirt dirt wonk. That's a very interesting <laughs> insult. Try to, try to guess what author that is that, that said that very famous guy. It's an amazing book. The incubation period lasts about 10 to 14 days. All right. Okay. This is how George Soper figures out that it was the cook, Mary, Mary Mallon, who transmitted this disease because she wasn't there at the time. She was only working at a specific interval. Mm. But since he knew the incubation period lasted between 10 and 14 days long, he went back and noticed that on the 4th, the Warrens had just hired a new cook, a Mary Mallon, who as soon as the family gets sick, she bolts, not even oh. getting her paycheck. She just leaves. Okay. So so she knew she was curing. So now they had to find her and question her. But that's going to be really difficult because she didn't leave any like address or anything. Right. You know what I'm saying? So the police were dispatched to find this Mary 
40-something tall, buxom, blonde hair, blue eyes, firm mouth, and jaw. She was a, quote, pretty good cook, although many past employees said that she had an anger problem and she was not the cleanest at all. She would never wash her hands. What do you guys think so far? Sounds like she might have a motive to... All right. Like, maybe she just has something against the wealthy, maybe or dirty or something. This is the book we're reading tonight. Definitely recommend it. It's not really true crime. This was a request and I wouldn't have done the story if I didn't find this book. There's a lot of books on it, but there's only one that I wanted to read for the story and it's this one right here. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Anthony Bourdain. He killed himself not too long ago. Typhoid Mary. He wrote an entire book. Now, Anthony Bourdain is a chef. Was. Was a chef and what what do you want to say? Wait, but like this looks older than Like his time. Did he do that on purpose? New York Times Review. No, this is, I mean, this is him. This was actually like the, it just doesn't look like a modern book cover. I think he, uh, I think he wrote this in 2010. But so this is by Anthony Bourdain of Kitchen Confidential. This is (laughs) the only book you should read because, let let me, wow, I had no idea he wrote a book about that. Mm. It's really fucking well done. And, and let me just say right quick. Every other story, every other podcast or whatever who talks about Typhoid Mary, when you hear the name, it's got that evil kind of, oh, she's going around spreading this disease and killing people. Mm -hmm. No one knows how many she's killed. Some say 50. Some people say hundreds, maybe even more. Wow. She is known for causing these typhoid outbreaks. Now, 10% of the population who gets typhoid ends up dying. So no one actually knows how many she's killed. Okay. But- Every paper you read, every video you watch, every book you read, and every podcaster that tells a story, I can promise you they have a negative connotation on Typhoid Mary. However, Anthony Bourdain tells it differently. In this book, instead of blaming her, he's actually telling her story. Like, who is she? You know, she's a cook. I'm a cook. Not me. You know, Anthony Bourdain. He's a chef. Mm -hmm. Mary Mallon's a chef and a damn good one from what people say. Mm -hmm. What's her life about? Mary Mallon. Typhoid Mary was a cook, a chef, which now thanks to pop culture, we look on, we think about a chef, they're celebrities, celebrities. Mm -hmm. but in that time in 1906, a chef was the bottom rung of society. Poor people wouldn't even want to be chefs. The chef was just completely the lowest point you could be as a cook. Because you're the help. Like you you are helping, because there's not like really that many restaurants and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. like there are today, you know? Yeah, exactly. So Anthony Bourdain tells the story of Mary and tells what it's like being her and gives her a voice. I think this is a really well done book. Hmm. Everything you're going to be reading tonight is from him, Anthony Bourdain's book, unless there is some newspaper articles I pulled from George Soper. He's the other character in the story. It's his words, but most of it's Anthony Bourdain's writing. Anthony Bourdain went to the same culinary school around the same time as my parents. No way. Nice. The CIA. Uh, She was a woman. She was Irish. She was poor. None of these listed on a resume in 1906 was going to put you on the fast track to the White House or a corporate boardroom or even a box seat at the opera. Because first and foremost, Mary Mallon was a cook. And her story, first and foremost, is the story of a cook. So let's move on. Questions to keep in mind in this episode when you're listening to this. Mary, as you'll see, she was poor. She's Irish. She's trash. She's looked down on. But she was always working, always working, taking jobs that even the American poor wouldn't take. She was also completely uneducated. She grew up in a poor family family. 
never had any education, could barely even speak correctly. And she was just the bottom of the ladder. But she was also asymptomatic. You know what that means? Yeah, she didn't have any symptoms. Sort of. So she, yeah, so she like didn't know that she even had it, maybe. All right. So the fact that you guys can't really, and I couldn't either, really define what that means asymptomatic, which means you're a carrier of a disease, but you don't actually get the disease yourself. You carry it, you transfer it, you give it to everyone else, but you don't actually ever get sick. The reason that you guys didn't know the correct definition, and I didn't either, you think about that and then ask yourself, how the fuck would Mary, an uneducated immigrant, know what that means? Yeah, in 1906. Like Mary, I've worked for private clients, briefly. Had I stay on, had my boss asked me one more time for an egg white omelet and no butter or oil in the pan, I surely would have grabbed hold of his skull, squeezed until his eyeballs popped out of his head like pachinko balls. Had I worked in homes of rich and silly circa 1906, I would have murdered them in their beds with the nearest available blunt object. Wow. So that's his own words. Yep. About typhoid in 1906, this is a filth disease. These are the people that you don't hang around with. Sure as hell, you'll never find this disease in a in a rich family, especially in Oyster Bay. The speculation at the time was typhoid arose from what's called miasma theory. Did you guys know what that is? The only reason I know what that is because Will the Pill talks about it on Quackery all the time. The miasma theory is basically you in you inhale it, you smell it. It's the smell of it. So if it smells unclean, it may be infected type of thing. That's oh. what the so back in the olden days before we had masks, I'm talking about like in the Black Death days, they would put uh, flowers in front of their nose because they would think if it smells good and healthy, then it'll block out all the diseases type of thing because it smells, you know what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah. So that's the miasma theory. But they thought that typhoid arose from sewer gases. So poor people were the the uh, the ones to get it. This dates back to 1607 and it killed 6,000 settlers. Like I said, only 10% of people usually die when they get it. The South African War, and this is true with a lot of wars, the South African War between the British and South Africa, Britain lost 13,000 troops to typhoid fever. 13,000 troops to typhoid fever. How many do you think they lost on the battlefield? 8,000. Wow. They lost 13,000 to typhoid and 8,000 on the battlefield. The symptoms prolong high fever up to 105 degrees, powerful headaches, nausea, no appetite, cough, hoarseness, diarrhea, constipation, skin rashes, inflammation, abdominal tenderness, and and then you get what's called the typhoid state where you start hallucinating and then eventually you die. An estimated, even nowadays, 11 to 20 million people still get sick from typhoid fever. And it's also making a comeback nowadays. So, But there's... It's becoming more resistant to what we're trying to put out. So it's uh, like people are getting the disease more and more again? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And it's becoming, uh, it's like that uh, super bug where it uh, adapts. You know, every year uh... we have to... Every year we have to make our irrigation uh, chemicals more powerful. I don't know if you know that because every year they, the the uh, the bugs and stuff like that they and the bacteria they get more accustomed to it mm-hmm. and they get stronger and stronger and stronger. That's what the superbug theory is because at one point we're not going to be able to make something strong enough to kill it mm. and it's going to be super fucking strong. All right, so now that we know that that Mary Mallon is the cause of this disease, and we're going to soon find out that she's probably already killed hundreds of people, we need to find her. So the person that does this is that George Super guy. 
Writing later, Soper describes what he did next. First, I went to the employment agency where I was given the missing cook's former places of employment and the different people who had furnished her with references. Working from agency to agency, I came in possession of little fragments of her history for 10 years. What do you suppose I found out? That in every household in which she had worked in the last 10 years, there had been an outbreak of typhoid fever. Mind you, there wasn't a single exception. Mm. So in typhoid, is there an, like you always have it? Like it's not like COVID, for example, when, you know, there's a period, it goes away. No, you, no, you, you don't uh, always have it. You can cure it. It's just like a, it's just like COVID. You get it and then you but don't she, have it. Every, where she worked for the last 10 years, everyone got it. Yeah. Well, it has probably something to do with her living situation then. Mm. It's transferred by food, usually in unclean conditions. So you don't wash your hand and you serve the food with your bacteria on it. And the whole family's eating that. That's why everyone's getting it. You know what I'm saying? She didn't get it, though, because she was asymptomatic. It's like the the guy that, uh, it's like, uh, what is it, like ground zero of the COVID thing? The, the person that has oh, patient zero, patient zero doesn't actually die from it or something like that. He just gives it to everyone type of mm-hmm. shit. I don't know, something like that. But she never actually showed any symptoms of it. They actually eventually found it in her gallbladder. That's where it was. And it was just hanging out there. And she, hey, would, she would give it to everyone, but... You know, anyway, they they made her out to be a freaking monster that she was just going around giving this shit to people. But you would like she must have known, given the fact that all of her employee employers got typhoid and she like left immediately after this case in Oyster Bay. Or maybe she left because she thought that people were going to think she was doing it on purpose and was trying to evade prosecution. Maybe. But right. Like, I, I think I think she knew that. There was something wrong and maybe that she, she, you know, it was just for a job pay, you know, anything like it didn't necessarily matter to her. Mm. And also she probably didn't know what to do with it for a cure. Right. My assumption. You gotta, you gotta remember she, like, I'm going to say she's a, she's a poor immigrant just trying to like make it by. Yeah. Like, what is she supposed to do? They actually, a doctor actually tested her before all this and showed that there was nothing that she was, there was no Hmm. typhoid in her. Interesting. So she already had, she was asymptomatic. She already had a test of this and she was told by an expert. The thing is, you have this guy, this George Soper, who is trying to make a name for himself. And he is kind of a twerp, as Anthony Bourdain said. He is this small guy. He He's trying to make this name for himself in this sanitary world. He's trying to be the guy that stopped Typhoid Mary. And he's just a, he's just like a little, you know, a little twerp. Mm-hmm. And the way he handles it is he goes and tries to immediately like blame her and arrest her and accuse her of all these things and get samples from her while she's at work type of shit, you know? All right. So 1904, she worked for Henry Gilsey and four out of seven of those people got sick. Jay Coleman in Dark Harbor, Maine, 1902, seven of nine people got sick. 1901, she caused an entire outbreak in New York City. 
Wow. That's where no one knows how many Could've died from died. that because that was a big outbreak. And now we don't know for certain if it was her, but, you know, it's quite possibly it was, you know what I'm saying? And she caused that huge outbreak. Particularly with the 7 to 14 day incubation period. Mm -hmm. Like people can, I know travel wasn't nearly as fast as it was, you know, then as it is today. But like that is still enough time for a whole city to Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. All right. So side note here before we go any further. So we've covered plenty of these immigrant cases, like Joe Arity being one of them that we talked about the immigration. Think about immigration today. It's such a heated topic, but look at it back in the 1900s. You have immigrants coming over from Italy, Ireland, China. You know, the Chinese are the ones that build our railroads. You have all these immigrants coming over and they're bringing diseases over here. They are. Okay. Not not on purpose, but we're not accustomed to their bacterias. And same vice versa. So it's very heated. But the thing is, and this doesn't sound good to say, but it's the truth. The U.S., the United States was built on immigrants and slaves. Mm. This whole this whole country was built on the backs of immigrants and slaves. End of story. Quite literally, the the people who who came to America were seeking religious were seeking religious refuge and were immigrants to us. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I mean I think that's why one of the reasons that immigration is such a heated topic today. Mm-hmm. There there was a two year break in her resume and he says, Where is she? Of course I did not know, for Mary is clever and she hardly ever works under the same name at two different places. Oh. So he's he's trying to be like this pseudo detective and he's just really annoying. The, the government actually makes fun of him, too, as you're going to see it here in a minute. He finally found Mary Mallon in March of 1907 in Park Avenue, New York City. A family she was working for had just gotten sick. The homeowner's daughter, quote, a beautiful young woman in her 20s, was lying on her deathbed. And this is what George Soper says, quote, imagine my surprise and utter joy when I found the famous germ carrier working as a cook in that household. He shows up at her work, accusing her of spreading diseases. He's demanding her to give over bodily fluid samples as she's working, causing this huge scene. So being Mary and you'll see Mary is a she is a no shit type of person, Irish. When he shows up to do this, Mary grabs the meat skewer and chases this guy out and she was going to kill him. Wow. Dr. Soper, Mary seized a carving fork and advanced in my direction. I passed rapidly down the long, narrow hall through the tall iron gate and so to the sidewalk. I felt rather lucky to have escaped. He finally tracked her down at the seedy hotel. She was staying on 33rd Street and 3rd Avenue in New York. Third Avenue is a pretty famous kind of area. But the hotel she was staying in was really low end. She, there was a dog in the room. There was a, an alcoholic man who she apparently loved in the room as well. It was extremely unsanitary. He tries to confront Mary again. And the same thing. She tries. She's yelling at him, running after him, trying to kill him. And he's just running away, squirrely, you know, running Mm -hmm. away. And then that's when he finally contacts the government. Mary knew a few things with terrible certainty at this point. She knew how serious Soper was, the degree of trouble she was in, and the apparent inescapability of it. He'd identified her secret companion, been inside her squalid little love nest or refuge, unmasked her, surely to his satisfaction, as a common slut. So, a little bit about her real name, Mary Mallon. Typhoid Mary is now 
what everyone knows about her, which that kind of implies like an evil intent, like she's actually going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. She was a uh, large woman, Irish, and she was poor. She was a carrier of this, but she didn't know it. And she got tested and the doctors found nothing before this guy even, mm. you know, was chasing her down. So, it, I mean, is it really her fault that people were getting sick? Do, I mean, can you really blame her as no. this? She fled to the U.S. when she was 15. She was penniless. When she lived in Ireland, she lived in the uh, Cookstown County, Tyrone, Ireland in 1869. That's when she she was born. The poorest county to have been in is where she was born. So she comes over and she is working her ass off trying to move up on and this you move up on the American ladder and you have this guy trying to ruin everything and just trying to make a name for himself. I don't know. Anthony Bourdain says this about her duty as a chef. The chef is the absolute leader. Food is always served on on time. Cold food is served cold. Hot food is served hot. No one is late. No one calls in sick. Let me repeat that. No one calls in sick. Mm. All right. So we know for a fact that she's killed at least three people. Some people say it's 50. Some people say it's hundreds. It depends on if she caused that outbreak in New York City or not. You know what I'm saying? But you can't really tell. But that's like blaming that dude eating a bat in China. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to put him, you know, you're not going right. to hang the guy because well, he ate a bat. People kind of have socially hanged him. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you eat a bat and then we put RFID chips in everybody. Like, come on, man. <laughs> All right. Mary, she wanted to come to America like everyone else to live this American dream, which is basically here be our slaves, which is basically what we did. That's like what North Korea did. I don't know if you know when. So a lot of South Koreans moved willingly to North Korea to to the, like this new push forward. And, and they had the propaganda like everyone is rich. Everyone's and, yeah, well and, fed and, and happy. Then, and then you move over there and you're stuck. You know, it's the same kind of shit. But Mary didn't want to raise a family. She didn't want to be like her grandmothers. She would rather be independent. She was a cigarette smoking, self-indulgent woman, Irish woman with a, a horrible attitude and just the foulest mouth you can get. But she she worked her ass off. Dr. Soper, he goes and he gets the government government's help trying to catch Mary. And they were completely unimpressed with his background and what he's done so far. New York City says, listen, man, all you've done is make matters much worse. You can't go in there and start accusing someone of, of anything. It should have been an easy task and you completely screwed it up. So we don't even want you talking to Mary Mallon again. He sounds like a frightened man, a man making excuses for being physically intimidated by a woman, a man who smells the punk inside himself. Soper confronted himself with later imitations that Mary wasn't really a woman anyway, certainly hmm. not a proper one. So George Soper, he kind of disregards the city and he shows up with an assistant. This assistant is one of his interns. It's a, a, a male, taller, basically a de facto bodyguard because he was so scared of Mary Mallon skinning him alive, right? The city found out about it and they were really pissed. And this time... They they demanded him not to go alone, and they actually assigned him someone, a, a doctor, to go with him to keep him in line. And it was a woman they assigned it to. Mm. They hmm. said, you obviously can't do this job. We're going to put this woman, and she's going to do this job. Her name was Dr. Josephine Baker. 
She calmly yeah. went. Josephine and, Baker is the a name of a famous dancer, right? I don't know. It, listen, the name yeah. rings a bell, but I don't know what for. She goes calmly and talks to Mary. But at this point, Mary was already so teeming mad with this guy, with with this soper guy that she she refused any uh, voluntary samples or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the next day, the Department of Health in their horse-drawn carriages with five police officers They show up at the estate that Mary is currently working at. As soon as she sees them out there, Mary Mallon is like as tall as Jen is six one or whatever. And just a, you know, just a big Irish, you know, foul mouth. You, know, you don't mess so with So pretty her. much me. Yeah. You, <laughs> she, cigarette smoking all day. Oh, no, I mean, not, not cigarette smoking. Not, she's not very, Mary Mallon is very intimidating. Okay. I don't think I'm that intimidating. She sees these five cops coming into this house. Mary Mallon lifts up the window and she jumps outside and then she takes off full sprint. She actually climbs a high fence. She almost gets away, but one of the cops jump her. Mm. If she was so sick, how come it had taken five policemen to subdue her? Could a sick person do that? Could a sick person jump out the window, climb a high fence, then wrestle five policemen to the ground and curse the lot of them? It was persecution. Simple as that. She fought and struggled and cursed. I tried to explain to her that I only wanted the specimens and that then she could go back home. She again refused and I told the policeman to pick her up in her ambulance. This we did and the ride down to the hospital was quite a wild one. Five strong New York City policemen were needed to restrain her because she was so fucking badass, right? I mean, she's like, you're not taking me alive. It took five cops to restrain a woman. <laughs> Jeez. The, the Dr. Josephine she Baker. She was a fighter. They had her tied down and uh, Dr. Baker in the ambulance to the hospital had to sit on her chest, you know, so, like, to just her. to keep her from like squirming. Crazy. Mary in high necked uniform, apron and skirts, duked it out with five tough red faced coppers and making a damn good show of it, all while spouting an impressive barrage of unladylike obscenities. Mm. You know what's interesting though is that like they they put in emphasis on her being well, maybe it's just John putting emphasis on her being Irish, but the Irish people were often known to be um police officers as well. It was a common mm. profession. Basically, what happened to Mary Mallon at the end, they they villainized her. They they locked her up in quarantine and she basically died in quarantine in island. They have islands for quarantining people in New York. Mm-hmm. And that's where she spent her life. She died there. That's wow. kind of sad. It is very sad. Anthony Bourdain says it was persecution. Simple as that. It was their rotten lot that was sick. They were the ones obsessed by shit and piss and indecent inde- things. The ones who wanted to put the knife on her, cut out her gallbladder. They wanted to know about her family, her friends, what she got up to with gentlemen so they could spread their lies, nosy Parkers, more then likely they'd like to track them down as well, maybe lock them up. Mm. So that's what they did. That's what the city did. They just basically put her in quarantine until she died. Wow. And it was, it's really sad. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, she... You would think that she could have been, like, treated and released. They villainized her. This dude, George Soper, he's a a fucking twerp. 
You know, he, he made her look like a villain. The thing is, she's not. She didn't choose to be asymptomatic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, she she didn't know. Oh, yeah, people are getting sick. Maybe, you know, what the fuck? You think, she, I mean, she's not sick. The asymptomatic was not a thing. Right. Like, all right, if if you, if you, well, if everyone else in the family yeah. is getting sick, how you would you think, think that? Immune, how, yeah, how would you think that you're giving it to them? That ain't making yeah. fucking sense. That means that... You don't get the disease like that. It make any sense. Or at least back in 1906. Yeah. And to a poor Irish woman who's just trying to get by, you know what I'm saying? No trial, no judge. One day safe in her kitchen, the next locked up in solitary confinement. White room, white bed, white sheets, white robe. Questions every day. Strangers coming to gape and more questions. She wasn't going to tell them anything. Not a fucking word. She didn't say anything the whole time. Wow. She was there for like 30 years until she died. Wow. 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 I, I, I didn't even know that Typhoid Mary was actually like. You thought I just, it was like an urban legend or something? Yeah. Or like, you know how, Um, I guess I kind of just assumed it was more like, you know how like storms have names? Oh, yeah. I just kind of uh, didn't realize there was a real person behind it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. sad, man, because they, they, uh, they made her. Made her out to be shit, you know. It's uh, crazy. Anyway, also on the Discord, guys, we're putting on. So I write all the blog posts, which are really well written. The one we wrote yesterday was great. The end of that story. Anyway, those are all free for supporters. So get on the Discord. I'm posting them all there. If you're not a supporter, it's that medium.com. And I think they give you like one free article or some shit like that. And then you have to pay. I think it's like five bucks a month. Five bucks maybe. a month. But, you so know. So if you're a supporter, you know. If you're a supporter, I, I put the free links in there, which are called friend go. links. So you don't have to pay anything. Oh, perfect. I didn't know that they could do that. So I just started adding all the, I added all of them in there. And nice. we're, we're writing blogs as much as we can, you know, for all these episodes. Because I've been so bad at posting pictures and shit. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. 